Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. Father, we surrender to you, God. Our songs are songs that are dedicating our life to you. There are very few people that we would actually want to sing a melody to, to lift our hands up towards, to dedicate our life to. And we come into this space this afternoon committing ourselves fully to you, God. And we've said that we want to adore you, God, to gaze upon the beauty of God. And so, God, we pray that as we come into this space that you would just drown out every distraction, reposition every other priority, minimize those things that have become big, and take hold of my life, God. Center me, God. Focus me, God. We want to hear a word from you, Jesus. We want to hear a word from you, Jesus. We want to hear from you, Jesus. And so we move to a space of expectancy, God. To a space of expectancy, God. Waiting to hear from you. Now, God, we pray that the spirit of the living God would fall fresh on this place. That you would divide yourself up into this room and speak to us where each of us are at. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> As we enter into the uh, holiday season, uh, this is a season and a time where our lives are being magnified. If you have a lot of joy in your life right now, that's being magnified. If you have depression in your life right now, that's being magnified. There's something about the end of the year and the Christmas season that magnifies everything. And oftentimes when we think about the end of the year, we begin to evaluate, what did I receive this year? What were the job opportunities? What were the relationships? What were the resources I received this year? And yet, one of the things that cuts through every year It's how we respond to God. Worship is a response to a living God. And from one year to the next, no matter what 2017 was like or 2018 is going to be like, the one thing we can guarantee is that God will be the same. And so in light of that, Maybe our evaluation of the year is not just what I received, but what I was able to give, what we were able to give to the Lord and how we respond to, respond to the Lord. Matthew chapter 2, verse 2, it says, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star at its rising and have come to worship him. This was the words of the wise men, of the magi, 
The word magi is where we get magician from. These are astrologers. These are people who merely study the stars. They don't study God. They haven't been raised in a Jewish household waiting to see the Messiah come. These are people who look up into the sky every day. And they had come to a conclusion that as they looked in the stars, they saw that God was doing something. And they traveled to Jerusalem one day. And they said, where is this king? Here's what they said. We have come to worship him. And we are going to spend a series these next four weeks, and we are going to talk about worshiping God, our response to God. Because far too often, our response is based upon our experience or our culture or our personality. And we worship based upon who we are or what we've been around. And when you look at these magi, these astrologers, these scientists, they don't have any background. But they thought it was appropriate to worship a holy God when they came into a relationship with him, into his presence. (laughs) God, by his grace has allowed me to be in a lot of different worship spaces. I grew up in what you could call an energetic worship space, praise God. And um, (laughs) my Aunt Viola, uh, you could pretty much time it, pretty much once a month. She would get up and run around the church. And uh, there was this moment where we we anticipated that our worship of God, when when the music came on, there was going to be this moment where people were going to get into it. And, and, but my Aunt Vi had it on a watch. I, I could tell you, every month, she was going to run around in the church, and she had this little thing, this little hallelujah thing she would do, and it was amazing every single month. And that was kind of what I got used to growing up. I was like, okay, this is what it means to worship God, you know? And then I had friends who were like, they were like, I think, I think we were kind of conservative. And then I had friends who were like in this hyper charismatic space where running around was just, that was like, you were on the JV if you were just running around. Like if you were not, if you, the first time I heard a shofar, have you ever heard those things? I was next to somebody with that joint and I tried to act like it wasn't, I, I tried to act like this little old Spanish lady did not have a horn next to me. I was like, yes, get oh. Yes, yes, go in for him. You know, and it was just like, I'm just going to act like this is normal. You know, and so I was like, man, this is, this is wild, right? So, so God has allowed me to be in those spaces. And then I went to Campus Crusade for Christ, and it was mostly Anglo, right? And there was this guy up there, and he had this, he had this guitar, and he's like, hey, guys. And it was very quiet. Said, hey, guys, how are you doing tonight? And one person was like, mm. They didn't even say yes. They just said, mm. And are like, yeah, guys, we're going to. We're just going to come. And it was kind of like, I was just very, it was very, I felt like I was getting a massage from Jesus. Like it was just, it was very like, mmm, yes. You know, I was, I had never, I didn't even know, I didn't, I never heard of the acoustic guitar. It was a totally different sound, just vibe, you know. And so I ended up going to a predominantly Anglo seminary. And so it was the same thing there. And there would be one brave person to lift up their hand. And they'd have their hand up like, I don't care what's happening. I'm going to love God. You know, and it was just... So, so 
I mean, here I am, right? And so what I ended up saying was, if you're theologically charismatic, you move. If you're black, you move. If you're Latino, you move. If you're white, amen. You, I saw you waiting on that. Right? And then I was like, if you're white, you think. Right? Right? That's, that's, that's just, I mean, I'm only saying what we already think. Right? And then when I got around charismatic white folk, that messed everything up. All my spaces and categories got jacked up. Right? But you would presume that worship then is only based upon experience based upon culture, and based upon personality. If I normally move when music moves me, I move. If I come from a background that moves, I move. If I come from a culture that moves, I move. So then what we have to ask ourselves is, why does God even talk about or mention our bodies during worship? Why does he even talk about it? Like, why does he bring it up? Or why does he even talk about responding to God? Now, notice, I am not talking about corporate worship. I'm not talking about Sundays. I'm just saying in general, when you look throughout the scriptures, the scriptures tell a story of people responding to God physically. And, and God, you know, when we talk about God caring about our bodies, we, enorm- we, we immediately think of sexuality. Like, oh, God cares about our body. But maybe the creator of heaven and earth and our body knows how, to, how we should respond to him. And maybe he considers our body in that. Maybe our bodies have something to do. Maybe our posture says a statement. Maybe our posture is a confession to God. Maybe the things that we do. And so, you know, because there's a part of us that when we, when we worship we, again, we just kind of go into this place where we're like, whatever you normally do, do, right? Isn't that, sometimes worship leaders, once you notice people aren't going to do anything, like, do whatever you normally do. Just, just do that, you know, because I don't want to feel insecure up here. You know, I mean, that's what you say. I'm not saying you do that, but I'm saying worship. People do that, right? Because you don't, because it's an awkward thing to try to get people to be up and move. Now, only in church, though. It's okay at a football game. In church, it's, you can't do that, right? But I'm just saying. What I, no, no, no. There's only some people, there's only some people feel like I'm calling people out. Other people are like, chill. <laughs> God made us. God knows how we should respond to him. Worship is a response to him. And when God mentions things in the Bible, he does not do them by mistake. When he talks about guarding your heart, when he talks about being on bended knee, when he talks about confessing with your mouth, those are all intentional steps of God to give you a clear picture of how to respond to him. And so, these next few weeks, we are going to really just detail how should we respond to God. This will not be based upon culture. This will not be based upon experience. This will not be based upon personality. We'll just look at the text for what it says. And then you make a choice. And again, this is not about gathering for 30 minutes together and feeling this pressure to do something. This is not about public worship. This is really about private worship. 
You and God. You and God. <clears throat> and there is um, maybe one of the most dramatic pictures of responding to God is the lifting of our hands. And we lift our hands and worship our God. Psalm 28.2 says, Listen to the sound of my pleading when I cry to you for help. And then he says, When I lift my hands towards your holy sanctuary. Now, I've only chosen several or three psalms to talk through about lifting your hands. But I could go on and on and on and on because the, the scriptures, the Psalms, are full of pictures of people bowing and shouting and clapping. In fact, the Bible actually doesn't just uh, quarantine bodies. It actually talks about mountains clapping and waves responding and rocks crying out. In other words, the whole creation responding to God. You know, the scriptures in Philippians 2 says every knee shall bow. Not people who like, I normally like to get on my knees, so this is what I do. No, they're like, the Bible says every knee shall bow in response to God when they see him face to face. But it says, listen to the sound. The psalmist is pleading to God. He says, don't you hear the depth of my voice as I'm pleading with you, God? I'm crying out to you. And then he says, I'm going to lift my hands towards your holy sanctuary, the place where you dwell, and I just want to get close to you. As if someone is stretching out their hands. <laughs> Little Sophia, our one-year-old, she accomplished something this week. She got out the crib by herself. Peep that? Yeah, it's pretty amazing. She's a year, she's a year and six months. Just hopped up out the crib. My daughter is now able to get out the crib. We never taught her that. She can just jump out the crib whenever she wants. But it's, it's amazing because when I walk in the room, she still does this. We never taught her that. She still lifts her hands up and says, I just want to stretch my hands to reach you, Daddy. I could get out on my own, but I just want to reach up to you. I just want to stretch out to you. And part of this picture of when he says your holy sanctuary, we know that the presence of God is there, but not really God himself, the fullness of who he is. But the psalmist is saying, I just want to stretch my hands to you to where you are. I want to be where you are. I can do things on my own, but I'm tired of that. I just want to stretch my hands to you. The psalmist in Psalm 72, I'm sorry, Psalm 77 and 2 says, I sought the Lord in my day of trouble. And then he says, my hands were continually lifted up all night long. I refuse to be comforted. What he's saying in the first part is that I'm in the day of trouble. Tomorrow is going to be really bad for me, and yesterday was incredibly difficult, 
and I'm in the midnight hour of my life, and I'm steeped in anxiety, and I'm filled with frustration, and so I can't sleep. And so in the midst of this weary night where this person is in the day of trouble, he says, he says, I lifted up my hands all night long. And he turned a night of anxious, filled insomnia to a night of worship. I'm just going to lift my hands up to you, God. He says, I'm in the day of trouble, and I'm just going to keep lifting my hands to you. Thirdly, and again, this is just a, a summarization. The psalmist says in Psalm 143, five through six. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all you have done. I reflect on the work of your hands. Notice the play on ideas he's going to say here that your hands do some things. I spread out my hands to you. And then he says, I am like a parched land before you. The psalmist, as he is thinking about God, he says, I remember the old days, and I'm thinking about all that you have done for me. And I remember when you're the hand of God put things together for me and together in this world. And so in light of that, I stretch out my hands. I lift my hands to you. And he says, I am like a parched land. Notice he didn't say, I'm in a parched land. He says, I am like a parched land. I am like a desert. And what this psalmist is saying is that I have to remember what you've done in the past because I have nothing right now. Nothing has worked out this year. I was waiting on you this year and you didn't come through. And I thought this year was going to be the year of harvest. And I'm in a desert. In fact, I feel like a desert. And that is one of the great lies of Christmas. That this is the season of bounty. That everything should be falling off the tree right now. That there should be nothing but joy and happiness. That there should be nothing but communication with family and depth of insight from your father and connection from your mom and deep relationships with a boyfriend or girlfriend. And yet this season is nothing about that. And because the depth of marketing in our country makes you think that this is about family, we kind of let family co-sign Christmas with Jesus. We say, well, this is a time of family. No, it's not. This is a time with people with no family. This is a time with people who have nothing else. This is a time when you feel desperate, when you feel alone, when no one's calling you back, when you're not going to get gifts. I remember a true story. It was Christmas of 2001. September 11th had just happened. I was in Texas. Parents were in a very public 
and nasty divorce. My mom, my dad, were going through uh, a divorce, and um, I had asked Natasha out, and she said no. Um, and I didn't have enough money to get from Texas to New York to be with my family. And I remember I lied on my bed. In fact, I was, uh, I was house-sitting for a family with a mansion. They literally had a mansion. And I sat in this mansion. I remember laying on this huge bed. And I remember laying there, and I remember thinking of how I had nothing. The family I thought I had, it's gone. The girl I thought I was in love with, don't want me. I did get it back. <laughs> and I remember how, how lonely I felt. And all I had was Jesus. And this time of the year is magnifying your season right now. And some of you are in a parched, my God. <laughs> it's hard to play that one off. Some of you are in a parched and desperate space. And when you are in a desperate space, when you are in this parched land, when nothing is working, you can still cling to idols and try to cling to what you have. But what the psalmist says is that I declare a spirit of surrender before you, God. And when you are in a desperate space, the thing for you to do is to move into that desperation before God and declare to him, you are the only thing I have. I know I have you, though. Total surrender. That's what you can give Jesus this year. Total surrender. I am in this parched land, and I have nothing. And so when you have someone who is giving up in a war, you don't have to teach them to lift up their hands. Surrender is a sign of desperation to someone who is having victory over you. And when you lift up your hands before the Lord as a sign of surrender, it is saying, I'm giving up all my strategies and all my methods. I have nothing else. I am a parched land. You are the only thing I have, and I fully cling to you. And you rely on him fully. Right now, some of you have nothing, and yet you're still not surrendered. God can take from you everything, and still you may not surrender to him. And God is calling some of you this year, surrender all, total surrender. Our body confesses to our God, I have nothing. I've got nothing left. I give you me. And yet, when we surrender to our God, 
and we give all of ourselves to him. You have to pull down all the other idols in your life. The things that you love, the things that are distracting you from him. And you say, you can have all of me, Jesus. And some of you right now are clinging to old relationships, old ways, old habits, and your lives are not fully surrendered to him. (laughs) But let me be clear. This is not something that just happens to us sometimes. This happens all the time. We're always in a state of not wanting to let go. We're always in a state of struggling to surrender. And when you lift your hands, your body is telling God what your heart may not want to do. I surrender to you, God. I I still am calling that person. I'm still going back there. I'm still talking to the people. I still shouldn't do that. And I'm not fully surrendered, but I'm I'm going to let my body tell a story that my mind isn't doing right now. God, I surrender to you, God. I just fully surrender. What the psalmist is saying, he's declaring his surrender to God. It's interesting, though. Um, in college, even though I was not the best student, praise the Lord, um, I, uh, I was a speech communications major. And uh, part of my concentration was nonverbal communication. So they talk about body posture. And uh, there's some incredible work done on nonverbal communication. And yet, <laughs> uh, hands up are this picture of, you know, someone saying, I don't, I don't have anything, right? If you have a gun come your way, you, you put your hands up. A child lifting up, and yet this sign of desperation and surrender, it's also a sign of victory and strength. It's amazing. Um, they have studied blind children who have never seen hands lifted up. And these blind kids who they had in a, a race, a, di- a race for disabled people, they saw that the kids lifted up their hands when they won. <laughs> and they said, these kids have never seen someone lift up their hands, but yet they naturally lifted up when they had victory. Animals. Animals, when they want a, a sign of dominance and strength, they lift up their hands and their arms to show that they have force over whatever was wanting to hurt them. You see, hands being lifted up are not only a sign of surrender, they're the sign of victory and strength. In in the Exodus chapter 17, read to you the story of Joshua and the Amalekites. It says, Joshua did as Moses had told him, fought against Amalek. While Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill, while Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. But whenever he put his hand down, Amalek prevailed. When Moses' hands grew weary, they took a stone and put him under him, and he sat down on it. Then Aaron and Hur supported his hands. On one side and on the other so that his hand remained steady until the sun went down. So Joshua defeated Amalek and his army with the sword. Isn't this an amazing scene? Moses, it doesn't tell him, 
You don't see it here, but Moses told Joshua, here's what's going to happen. Joshua, you fight the Amalekites. This staff that I've used in order to part the Red Sea, the same staff that I used before Pharaoh, I'll lift it up. And while I'm lifting up this staff, it will give you strength in the battle. (laughs) And it says that while Moses had his staff, he was lifting it up and his arms grew weary. And every time his arms went down, the Amalekites began to prevail. But every time his arms went up, every time he would lift his arms up, the Israelites would win and they would prevail. His arms lifted up were a sign of victory. But remember, he had a staff in his hand, and that staff was a symbol of what God had done in the past. And Moses felt it was so important that he keep his arms up that he had Aaron and her come to his side and lift his arms up. And then they put a stone underneath him so that he could keep his arms up just so that the people could have a symbol of victory. But notice the victory wasn't something they had won yet. The victory was something that they were trusting and believing in. And they needed someone. There had to be someone who would be expectant of victory. And so when they were fighting, they would look up and they'd see Moses. They said, we know Moses has fought battles. We know Moses has won. And look at Moses. Moses has got his arms up, and I know he's won in the past, and I know we can win right now. And so they fought and fought and fought harder. I have tried to be as clear as possible that this sermon is not about what we do on Sundays. But I will tell you this, for those of you that give your full body in a worship context, you are unknowingly encouraging someone else. That when you are just free before God, when you take the courage to just come before God and say, I expect great things of you, God. I I trust in you, God. You are the God of old and you are the God of today and I trust you for the future. As you are trusting him for victory, you inspire other people. And you believe, your belief flows to other people. And as we have our hands lifted up, we are saying we are victorious, that we have already won. And the crazy thing about being in Christ and knowing Jesus is that on one end we lift our hands because we are surrendered. And on the other hand, we lift our hands because we're victorious. And only in Christ can you have a victorious surrender. That you can be fully submitted to a God that you know is fighting my battles. And at the same time, I can rest in him. Tonight, we wanted to shorten this message so that you could just be before God. And just rest in God. And lift your hands before God. And and maybe tonight, 
might be one of the first times that you say, you know, I want to lift up my hands before you. But your body tells a story. And as you are before him, I pray freedom over your life, that you could experience freedom before God, not based upon your experience or your culture. You see, some of you had had such a bad worship experience, you're doing the very opposite now. You say, they was crazy, so I'm going to be sane in worship, right? Or some of you, some of you, you know, it's like, I don't really feel like doing all that. It doesn't take that much. I like to just be quiet. But I want to encourage you in this. One night this, this week, when no one's around or early in the morning, before you even say anything to anyone, Lift up your hands to your God and declare victory and declare surrender over your day. And say, I expect victory today, God. I expect that you, not, not just what people will do, I expect your character today, God. I trust in your holiness today, God. I trust in your perfection today, God. I trust in your love, not the love of man. I trust in your approval, not the approval of man. I trust in your beauty, not the beauty from men. I trust in your receptivity, not the receptivity of men. And I already have you. So I won. I've won. I've won. I've won today already. Whether I get that job, whether I get a promotion, whether things go right, I've won and victory is mine. Victory is mine today. Victory is mine. And then with your other hand, you say, but I'm distracted, God. And there are things coming around my way. And there are things competing for your affection in my life. So I surrender. I surrender, God. I will not buck up against you. Not my will, but your will be done. Not my agenda, but your agenda be done. Not anyone else's love, but your love, God. I trust you. I believe in you. I lay my life down before you. I am surrendered. I fully surrender. I have total surrender, but I have total victory. And only in Christ do we have a victorious surrender. And just lift up your hands before your God this week. Not in front of men, but in front of your God. Respond to this holy God who has sent his son to die for you. And make it a habit of your life. And maybe in 2018, this will be such a habit that when you review at the end of the year, you won't just think, what did I get from this year? You'll think about that day where you just stood on the promises of God. You just stood on the promises of God. And you rested in his presence. And you walked into a chaotic situation at work. And you were not in peace, but you were at peace. And you, you, you were so filled with the Holy Spirit, you set the atmosphere. And you didn't just receive in 2018 you gave in 2018. And you'll look over the year and not just what who did this and what they say and oh, what did I get? But you'll be filled, able to give to others. Would you stand with me? Don't feel coerced and don't feel burdened 
But would you just lift one hand right now? What are you just claiming victory over right now? Some of you mothers right now are just so burdened. Some of you fathers right now, some of you are lonely. Some of you have addictions. Some of you right now have strongholds over your life. Let this hand be the reminder right now, even though I feel like a failure, I have victory in Christ. And then would you lift up your other hand? God, right now, there is a stronghold. There are, there are things, idols over me, God, pulling at me. But I surrender all. I surrender all to you, God. And Jesus, with this one hand, I've got victory. And this other hand, I've surrendered. You're the only one I've got victorious surrendering. And so I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. I'm undefeated and fully defeated at the same time. Oh, yeah, I'm good. I don't have to pretend I have it all together, and I know you've got everything. I'm good. I'm good. I've got victorious surrender. Victorious surrender. Jesus, for those of you, for those of us, God, that feel defeated, I speak victory over their life. Father, for those of us that are distracted, I speak surrender over their life. And for all of us, Jesus, I speak a victorious surrender. I speak a victorious surrender. I speak a victorious surrender, God. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story. Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at BridgeChurchNYC or visit our website, BridgeChurchNYC.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.